0: or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Alex Zeck. He is the founder and the executive director of the Health and Freedom for Humanity. How are you doing today?
1: I am good. I just uh, celebrated my 30th birthday on Friday with a bunch of friends and family. So it was happy good.
0: birthday! Thank awesome. You. You. <laughs> so you're you're recovered from the festivities.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm a parent of two. So uh, that is, this weekend was actually easier than just being a, you know, a dad of two kids. So
0: <laughs> how old are your kids?
1: Um, I have a four and a half year old and a one and a half year old.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. That, that's a lot to manage for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we had help this weekend managing them. So that's what made it easier. Than the, last that,
0: the birthday present. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, I would love to start by asking you why you started Health Freedom for Humanity.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So to be honest, um, what it has turned into is not originally what the idea was to be, but that's, it's a good thing. Like I sort of just like went with, you know, where we were at at the time. I, in October of 2020, contacted several friends of mine who I'd connected with just from speaking out about everything going on. And I was still a captain in the army at the time. So it was Mm -hmm. pretty risky (laughs) me doing that, but my, you know, this is a line from one of my good friends, Dr. Ben Tapper. My com, uh, convictions were greater than my complacency, so I, I, you know, felt so convicted to share my perceptions of what was going on. It resonated with a lot of people. I grew mm-hmm. on social media and then connected with a lot of doctors and just other, you know, health, freedom, and holistic health uh, sovereignty people. And we, we you know, kind of decided to start an organization. The original idea was to honestly, do something similar to the Great Barrington Declaration. It was to just yeah. get as many signatures as we could from people from all walks of life to show mm-hmm. that people from all walks of life, it wasn't just super far right leaning Trump supporting QAnon conspiracy theorists who <laughs> care about health freedom. It was really <laughs> everyone. And uh, one as would we hope say again yeah
0: one would hope yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i just i that's just not true at least not in my experience obviously there is some of that but i'm not that and i know a lot of other people who aren't that and our organization is comprised of a lot of people who actually came from the left originally or who have always been awake to the nonsensical um tribalistic left versus right paradigm that's completely an illusion so anyway um We, we started just the initial conversations about the organization and it just turned into, you know, a podcast as well. And then we launched in January of 2021, but the premise essentially when we launched was to show that there is a community of health freedom and holistic health uh, influencers, so to speak, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, all races, all religions, socioeconomic backgrounds, political affiliations, gender, sexual orientations, whatever. Literally all of those divisions amongst us, we are united in that we believe everyone has a right to choose what is best for their own health without coercion or force. And we launched in January of 2021, And we exploded pretty rapidly. We started a podcast and we had so many people contacting us asking how they could get involved. And we were like, I have no idea how you can get involved. So then we started chapters. So now we have 19 state chapters, chapters in three countries and, uh, are growing as fast as we can, but it's, uh, what limits our growth honestly is that we're 501 C3 nonprofit and we don't push for donations. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we want people to donate on their own accord and by their own volition, but, um that's what's limiting our growth it's just the financial piece and it's not that we're like in, in an insanely bad spot per se but it's that you know we're not running around or call, cold calling people asking for donations or anything like that so yeah we we started it like that and we just uh, have grown from there and um it's been a interesting ride um but i you know the the or, the direction we're heading now as an organization Is more focused on offering solutions in all of Mm -hmm. our in person events. We're actually, for the last four and a half months, we've been creating a donation based membership platform. Mm -hmm. And that will uh, primarily focus on offering courses and other video and uh, video content and then articles, documents on how to grow your own food, on how to practice common law, on, um, you know, how to heal your trauma on just anything in the realm of solutions when it comes to health, because yes, it's important to discuss the tyranny and everything regarding the data, stats, all the studies on masking, vac- vaccination, all of those things is important and obviously advocating for choice and know educating people on why it's important to choose but equally if not more important is okay now that we know all of that really dark information what do we do about it how do we maintain our health and mind and body and spirit so that's the direction we've been heading for the last four and a half months
0: that is awesome so awesome and i I love what you're saying about casting the big the big 10 because i think you know that is uh that's one of the I would say that the the powers that shouldn't be have their triple D that they worship, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, that's deception, uh, the division, divide and conquer. So, you know, mm. they're all about pitting, you know, it's the Hegelian dialectic and they pit yes. people against each other so they can swoop in with their magical solutions that m- somehow seem to create more problems. Funny thing about that. Yeah, but they always have another solution ready at the hand. So, um yeah. And then they, you know, the other one is destruction. You know, they have to completely destroy and create chaos again, so they can march in with their wonderful solutions. But I love the idea of casting this bigger to him because, you know, I think that is something that most people really do unite over is that they want to have sovereignty over their own health. And we're all so incredibly unique, especially when it comes to health, where, you know, we're all born with a unique set of circumstances, a genetic makeup and, uh, you know, our, even our, our experiences, which lends themselves to the traumas and how we respond to those, you know, that mm-hmm. create very, such a wide uh, variety of uh, impacts on our health. So to say there should be one blanket solution or one magic pill for everyone seems a little bit ludicrous, you know, kind of absurd. Um, so yeah, so I really do love that. What, um, what do you think, or when you talk about like some of these solutions, what do you think are some of the, We've been lied to so much (laughs) and it it seems like the more you dig in, the more you realize we've been lied to about what are some of the biggest lies, uh, in the, that have been propagated by, uh, the health, medical, uh, pharmaceutical industry, (laughs) you think?
1: Oh man, that is a loaded question. Um, (laughs) ah, that you can cause someone else to be sick by breathing around them, um, being, (laughs) the largest, that there are these sub microscopic particles that are passed from person to person and cause disease. Um, I would also add that disease is purely chemical and physical is such a lie. There's so much about the energetic, spiritual, emotional components of what causes us to be ill. That is a humongous one that I would even say a lot of alternative health and holistic health solutions completely miss the boat on. And I think of things like functional medicine. I actually do not like functional medicine at all personally because I think what functional medicine has turned into is simply um, people who have woken up to the harms of pharmaceutical products Mm -hmm. to treat symptoms. They now offer you know specific herbs or specific supplements to right. treat the symptoms but it's still missing the root cause of the issue and that is something that comprises issues usually if not in all cases in mind body and in spirit so there's always an underlying emotional or spiritual component to what is causing you to be ill in my opinion and i just think that that is such a a big piece of what causes us to be ill is is that piece and um What else what else is there that I think is a complete (laughs) lie. um I I think just the overarching concept that the government in any way shape or form is responsible for your health responsible for any of that and it's because we have made governments responsible and allowed government to be corrupted. um, Mm -hmm. which I think is inevitable, with the way that our government is set up uh, that then. Creates a situation where they're offering so called solutions that are mm-hmm. absolutely harmful and proliferate and perpetuate disease in, in all shapes and forms. And that's why we've seen cancer skyrocket. We've seen um, autoimmune conditions skyrocket. 54% of kids born today have a chronic disease. Uh, One in 30 kids now are autistic. Um, what else? I mean, seizures are skyrocketing, neurological issues, learning disabilities are skyrocketing, uh, obesity is through the roof. And all that has happened while we have the most heavily funded, robust, well-educated, well-researched healthcare system in the world. And it's a little bit odd and sort of makes you think, hmm, given that we've poured more funding, more research, more um you know resources education into this system and it's producing increasingly bad results isn't is it possible that what we're funding and what we're researching is actually intended to perpetuate disease maybe and that's that's what i think of with this so i think getting back to i would say For sure, personal responsibility for your own health, but then also at a community level, supporting each other in community when it comes to health rather than reaching out to these centralized systems for uh, any of our health needs.
0: Absolutely. So, you bring up like the spiritual, uh, emotional components of uh, health and wellness and and illness. Are you familiar with New German medicine? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, very. Dr. Homer, yes, I'm very familiar. One of my really good friends, Dr. Melissa Sell, is a okay. German New Medicine practitioner.
0: Yes, I'm familiar with her as well. What are your thoughts on it? And uh, what? Can you? Yeah, can you just- so
1: <sighs> I think German New Medicine is incredible because the the specific symptoms that arise that can be traced back to a very specific emotional trauma or a conflict is what German New Medicine calls it. Yeah. Um, I've seen some, you know, I mean, even my wife, my wife, uh, hopefully she'll be okay with me sharing this. She, <laughs> she grew up with uh, abandonment issues. Her dad was in the army and he was always gone. There was a couple of times that they thought he was dead, uh, cause he was a colonel in the army and he was stationed in Afghanistan and in charge of, uh, prisoners of war, um, oh. from the Taliban and Al Qaeda. So he was like a high profile, Man in the army and um so she had she grew up with pretty significant abandonment issues. And then early on in our relationship, I was emotionally unavailable. We met when we were sixteen, so wow. So yeah. a normal sixteen year old Congratulations. Dude, was, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. We survived that <laughs> phase of our relationship, which is good. Um so we've been together for fourteen years now, which is just crazy. But um
0: That's a lifetime these days. <laughs> it is, it is okay. a lifetime.
1: Yeah, but so she has these specific heart flutters that she gets and we looked up in this german new medicine handbook what those tie back to and those tie back to specifically some type of abandonment issue and it's it was like spot on and i know Mm -hmm. i mean Melissa's given me several other examples where it ties back to specifically that the one thing about german new medicine and i don't know if it's that german new medicine teaches this or if it's that german new medicine practitioners just sort of have come up with this uh I don't wanna say theory, but just this notion themselves that you can eat whatever, you can be exposed to whatever, and it's not gonna cause you to be ill. It's all mental. And I think that is true mostly. I think that is mostly true, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't think that is exclusively true. I do think, <clears throat> excuse me. Sure. Now I do think there are absolutely, um, there's some nuance there that, like if I'm right next to a millimeter wave tower, and I'm just sitting next to it, or if I'm, you know, pumping myself full of tons of vaccines, that's going to cause disease symptoms, no matter how, how good my spiritual faculties and my emotional faculties are, I think that is going to cause disease. And I think that some German new medicine practitioners, uh, kind of say that it doesn't, that all of that is somewhat irrelevant or at, at the least negligible. And wow. it's that it's all the emotions and conflicts that cause you to to experience disease, unless I'm misunderstanding. It. And so if anyone listens sure. to this and finds out that I'm wrong, please let me know.
0: Wow. And that, that is really fascinating. So they don't uh, incorporate, at least your understanding is that it's not uh, a holistic kind of incorporation of absolutely the mental, emotional, spiritual component, but also the, the physical toxins that we uh, are exposed to.
1: And I don't I don't think it's like exclusively that I just think they that all of those are kind of, again, negligible, where it's mm-hmm. like those aren't as big of a deal as this. And, it, and when I say it's not as big of a deal, it's like, ah, yeah, I, I would avoid those things. But it's not that big of a deal. This is the biggest thing. And mm-hmm. I think those are kind of equal. And there's a balance between the two is what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: So we're, you know, we're very capable of dealing with tremendous toxicity and we are constantly bombarded with tremendous toxicity, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, but, and I think that we're, this is my personal view, but I, I think that where uh, the synergy comes into play is that your e- emotional, spiritual, uh, mental um, terrain, if you will, it gives you the uh, threshold for the toxicity level load yes, that you can that handle. That
1: is such a perfect way to describe it thank
0: you yeah that yeah that's that's very much how I see it so I mean obviously you know we we all have the capacity to handle stress but if we're if we're at the upper level of our stress threshold then we're more likely to incur symptoms and uh, dis-ease
1: as a result so I would say that's absolutely true that's exactly the way that I view it too
0: yeah cool what
1: i don't have anything to add with that because
0: (laughs) 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 all right all right then we'll 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 go with it what what let's talk a little bit about i really wanted to talk this is and i'll just share i don't know how much you know about my personal story Um, but this for me has been quite a journey because it is very, very personal. Uh, so I'll give you kind of the cliff notes version, but I was born, the story goes, I was born with congenital rubella. So that's a germ measles. My mother had during first trimester rendered me with several complications. I have unilateral blindness. I have bilateral hearing impairment. I actually didn't get hearing aids. So I was almost six years old. I learned how to speak by reading lips. Um, so, which I still depend very largely on. And I had heart surgery when I was a year old. I was born with hypotonic limbs, stunted growth, fine graphic motor wow. impairment, you know, a bunch of dental complications. All this to say, they told my mom the best she could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. So as a, as you would imagine, the whole uh, germ theory is uh, something that is a, it's a very tough pill for me to swallow that that might not be, you mm-hmm. know, the legitimate story because it would mean that my life story, the story that I was told is possibly not true. And it also means that, Something happened to me. I mean, clearly, <laughs> you know. Yeah, sure. um, and so, sure. what is that? That remains to be a mystery that might potentially never be solved. So that is really hard. I think many people. I, I always say this. I have tremendous compassion because it's taken me so long to even be open to the possibility. And I think many people intellectually have a really hard time wrapping their head around it because you know it's so uh, counter to everything that we have been taught and that we've been uh, inculcated throughout. You know our no matter what type of educational training you've had, just, you know, being a product of the milieu of the world uh, that we live in currently. So it's been really hard for me to acknowledge that that story, that narrative might not be 100% accurate. Um, But I do feel that because I have kind of come after, I, I would say it's been about eight months of really diving into this, uh, germ versus terrain theory. And I also, I will just uh, interject with this too, that I, I'm very much opposed to binary kind of logic. I hate yeah. that we, we live in a world where everything's just black, white, like this is good, bad, and, you know, and you know, sometimes things are much more obviously good versus bad or uh, sure. black and white. But The reality is that, especially when you're dealing with human beings, whether it be physically, emotionally, or uh, spiritually, there's so much nuance, life is so complicated. So I I really had a hard time with, you know, accepting that it was all right from, you know, terrain or all wrong from germ versus or vice versa. And I, I really was much more inclined to believe that there was some nuance between the two. But Sorry, this is so long winded, but no, this is- th-
1: no, this is good context. This is very good context to know where you're coming from with this. Yeah.
0: So it, but it really is important to me because I feel like it is the more I dig into it, it seems to be a linchpin lie. So much of the pharmaceutical or what I call, you know, the other MIC, you know, there's we all know the military industrial complex, but there's the medical industrial complex, yeah. which uh, in many ways, I think that the military industrial complex is de- designed to uh, protect and partner uh, with so they have been there. Uh, it's kind of a, to me. It's a linchpin lie that they could not uh, continue to uh, perpetuate their agendas without that big lie and the right. fear porn that is a result of it. So if I could possibly be a messenger in this, uh, you know, I feel that that is you know some sort of uh, you know, I, I guess um, purpose for my my journey here so yeah.
1: yeah yeah so this one was i especially with the context of what how you grew up and and the complications surrounding your birth and rubella that is um i totally validate how the accepted narrative of what causes those set of symptoms mm-hmm. may be hard to uh get out of your mind because it's become so entrenched and it became like a fundamental part of how you grew up. And, um, so when I want to touch on one point too, because I am usually also very opposed to black and white thinking. I (laughs) absolutely despise black and white thinking. The thing with this though, is that specific claims, especially if those claims are to be used to flip the entire world upside down, Mm-hmm. <laughs> require evidence. Sure. Like the burden of proof lies on those making the claims. Absolutely. And the claim is that a pathogenic submicroscopic particle, known as a virus, exists in the fluids of a sick person and is passed to a healthy person wherein it causes disease. Right? That's the claim. Okay. And the proof that we have for that claim that strictly adheres to logic or strictly adheres to the scientific method is quite literally non-existent. Yep. And that's tough for people to come to grips with, but it is true. And I don't know where you're familiar with my work, but if you follow me on Twitter, if anyone listening to me follows me on Twitter, they've seen me challenge virologists, they've seen me challenge immunologists, molecular biologists to provide one paper where virology, validates their hypothesis that there is these submicroscopic particles while strictly adhering to the scientific method with a proper independent variable, clearly identified, clearly demonstrated, accounting for confounding variables, with proper control experiments. And in every single case, I'm either blocked or they use some type of logical fallacy like a bandwagon fallacy that, oh, the overwhelming or appeal to authority, overwhelming majority of experts believe in this. We've been doing the cell culture isolation process for years, so they'll do appeal to a tradition they'll use an ad hom they'll attack me saying that i'm not a virologist they'll use a straw man fallacy oh. You're saying that you don't believe that disease exists at all, or something ridiculous, they can never actually provide the paper. Right, they cannot do it and that's the thing is.
0: And you're not the only one, by the way. I, I've witnessed this on you know many people who challenge this.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there are. There are several, several people challenging this. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to um mm-hmm. let me let me break down for those that are listening to this that are unfamiliar with with uh the pseudoscience of virology. So yeah. every single paper that has claimed to have isolated a virus goes like this. They take snot or other fluids from a sick person they put it on a monkey kidney cell alongside cytotoxic antibiotics and antimycotics like amphotericin b gentamicin penicillin streptomycin they also add trypsin they put what's called minimal nutrient medium on the culture which is a form of nutrient medium that is used in molecular biology and used in cell cultures fairly often, but it is again it's in the name minimal nutrient medium meaning the minimal amount of nutrients to keep the cell viable so they're essentially dropping the nutrient intake of the cell. And then they're also adding fetal calcium, which is a rich source of other genetic material other sources of RNA DNA so they're adding all these things into the culture they presuppose that this snot from a sick person contains a virus in it or virus particles in it, right? They never validate that it does. They have never once used an, uh, an electron microscope or a light microscope to see these virus particles inside the fluids of a sick person. They just assume that it is there. They, they the initial like,
0: presupposition is faulty.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> th- there's, several presuppositions here Um, it's it's all there's so many assumptions in this process right because it's assuming that they're there right add that to the culture alongside these other things they assume that none of these other things have an effect on the culture and there's you know stated reasons as to why they add them they add the antimicotics um, and antibiotics because they're saying they're trying to keep the environment sterile and free from bacteria and free from fungi but those things have an effect a perfect example gentamycin or amphotericin B, you can Google this, type in amphotericin B um, kidney complications. And there's a number of peer-reviewed studies that come up talking about how amphotericin B is specifically cytotoxic to kidney cells. And think about what they're doing here. They're placing amphotericin B and gentamicin on a kidney cell alongside this snot that they presuppose contains the virus, right? And then the cell breaks down into a bunch of fragments, Those fragments, they then prepare for electron microscopy. The preparation process for electron microscopy requires freezing, staining, heating, radiating with light, bombarding with electron beams. So if I were to do that to you or to me, in our natural state, you probably wouldn't look the same that you looked in nature, right? So (laughs) that's the preparation process for electron microscopy. And then they take those electron micrograph images, point to them and say, ah, these little particles here, those are viruses. They must be what caused the cell to break down. They must be what was inside the fluids of this sick person. They must be what caused them to get sick. And they must be passed from person to person. That's what causes people to get sick. So again, riddled with assumptions and pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue is we've accepted that as the way human beings get sick Mm. and i want to be careful with this to 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 propose with certainty an alternative to what causes let's say something like herpes which appears to be a contagious like disease right or something Mm. like chickenpox which appears to be a contagious disease to say for certain that we know it's oh it is energetic it is this it is that is also a flaw because we don't have any sure proof to validate that claim. But what I do know is that it is not a pathogenic submicroscopic particle. And we know this because first, the particles have never been identified outside of that cell culture experiment, which you can't possibly know what is generating those particles, what is causing those particles to occur, because of all of the confounding variables that are added to the culture. You can't possibly know for certain that, oh, it must be coming from this person. Um, or from the fluids of a sick person. And then we know with chicken pox, as an example, there's multiple experiments that were done where they took the pustules and. Extracted fluids from them and injected them into healthy people. They swabbed them in the back of healthy people's throat. They, uh, put them on, uh, healthy people's skin. They took a derma roller and put it in their skin and it didn't replicate symptoms of disease. So it can't possibly be anything contagious coming out of those pox, right? So it must be something else. And what we have to default back to when it comes to any of these things is what we do know causes disease, right? That's Mm -hmm. what we have as our baseline. So we throw the virus thing out because it has not been proven. It is literally an unproven idea. It is a concept. It is not true in reality. It it has not been proven to be true yet. And people will get frustrated with me when I say viruses don't exist, and they'll say, well, how do you know they don't exist for sure? sure?" And I'm like, you know what, that's true. I don't know that they don't exist for sure, but up till this point, they have not been proven to exist. Mm -hmm. And would you be upset with me if I said unicorns don't exist or gnomes don't exist? No, you probably wouldn't be upset with me if I said those things, like, could those (laughs) things exist too? Yeah, they could, but have they been proven to exist? No, if I point to trampled grass in my lawn and horse hair found in my lawn and say, Ah, that's proof of a unicorn, you'd say I'm fucking crazy. So I don't know why we're pointing to these effects in a culture saying, Oh, that's proof of a virus. And if I say no, that's not proof of a virus, I'm pointing to it like I'm crazy, you know? So no. it's it's nuts. But so last thing and then I'll then I'll let you talk the The I'm talking way too much right now. No, no.
0: Please. That's why I invited you on. So
1: (laughs) good point. Good point. The baseline that we have to refer back to is what we know causes disease. We know that toxins cause disease. We know that emotions cause us to be sick if we're in a perpetual state of fear. Even the CDC's own data with COVID-19 indicates that. They did a study showing that the strongest risk factors for death associated with a COVID-19 death label, which that's a whole nother story. (laughs) um the the common the most common the largest risk factors were obesity and fear slash anxiety related disorders which shows that being in a perpetual state of fear absolutely causes you to be sick we know that toxins cause us to be sick we know that being exposed to large amounts of non-native emf causes us to be sick we know that malnutrition causes us to be sick we know that lack of or a sedentary lifestyle causes us to be sick so those are the things that we have to refer back to. And then we can come up with ideas but again people in the terrain camp need to be careful with this of what can cause two or more people to get sick in the same space and that could be some form of bioresonance that could be pheromones that could be a combination of the two could be a combination of everything that i just named that we have as the baseline with those and that's the other piece is we're caught in this reductionist mindset where it must be this one single thing that causes this one single set of symptoms And that is also caused by the germ theory of disease when in reality we're complex, biological, physical, emotional, chemical, spiritual, electric, energetic beings that have multiple inputs in our life that are going to be unique to us that are causing us to express symptoms of disease. And then the last thing I'll say is Mm -hmm. symptoms are good for you. Symptoms are a good thing when they're perpetual. That's indication of something that something more is wrong. But when you are experiencing acute, or temporary symptoms, that is your body doing what it is supposed to be doing to rid itself of toxins, to detoxify. I don't think we have an immune system because what is there to be immune to? I think we have a detoxification system. So I will shut up now.
0: Well, hopefully not for too long. But uh, thank you for that. I absolutely agree. I think we have a detox system, and there. You know, I, I had Dr. Robert Young on uh, a while oh, ago. He's awesome. Yes, really awesome. He was talking about the uh, interstitial organ, which is yeah, interstitial uh, fluid. Yeah, but he said it's actually been diagnosed as a, or yeah, determined to be it's organ. your
1: fascia. Yeah, it's your like fascial system.
0: Yeah, which is fascinating, and yeah. that is a, a, a like a huge integral component of our detox mechanisms, so or or diagnostic mechanisms when it's not being when we yep. where the toxicity load increases. Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on? I, I'm thinking about how to word this. So we we have a lot of uh, virologists who are you know very seeped in this. And of course, it, you know, obviously they're steeped in virology that that's yeah. most of what they know. Uh, that's what they've been trained in. And I, I'm curious, some of them are aware of what uh, is oh. that something is amiss <laughs> that things yeah. are not quite right. Yeah. And I'm curious how much you think people know uh, and how much they're uh you know really just so entrenched and myopic in their perspective yeah
1: that's a good question you're you're what you're pointing to here is the notion that oh you think all virologists are in on it alec or you think all <laughs> virologists are in on it Courtney. you're right yeah that's okay no i don't just like i don't think all doctors are in on it when it comes to vaccines they simply mm-hmm. been taught that vaccines are safe and effective over and over again. It's been repeated to them in medical school Mm -hmm. and they're taught not to question it. And they are taught that this is accepted science. We already have so much evidence to show that these are, quote, safe and effective products. And, you know, it takes a few doctors to do their own independent research and come up uh, or, or I guess shed the layers of conditioning that have been impressed upon them and to really dissect their own thought processes and the logic behind it for them to come to their own conclusion or to see multiple of their patients. Like this kid was healthy at 12 months. He was making eye contact walking and he came into my office, had seven shots and one sitting and then it regressed. Oh no, they're safe and effective. And then that happens multiple times. And it's like, okay, something is wrong here. And when, when you've been taught something, I'll let me share an experience, actually, this is this was this really uh, solidified the lack of validity of virology for me. I set up a debate that was to take place on March 24th between. I I won't use names here, but let's say a well-known terrain proponent that -hmm. is an MD on that side of the spectrum and a virologist, a a published virologist. and. A published virologist that understands that COVID is a fraud, but nonetheless, a published virologist who is very certain that virology is a real thing, Mm -hmm. right? We had an initial preliminary discussion two months prior to the debate. He went into the debate thinking that, yes, we acknowledge these particles exist in the fluids of a sick person, but they're simply not pathogenic. That's what he thought our argument was coming in. But when we told him that, no, you have no evidence that these particles exist period, because every time they have been imaged or seen is the result of the cell culture isolation process. How do you know that those other confounding variables are not causing the culture to experience what it's experiencing? How do you know those particles exist in the fluids of a sick person? And you could see the cognitive dissonance in yeah. his eyes. sure. And he, you know, we had a 30 to 45 minute discussion and he kept on bringing up Secondary and tertiary points of evidence, epidemiological data or epidemiological observations were like, that's not pointing to the specific cause. Again, you're pointing to effects and saying that that is the proof of a cause, which is an affirming the consequent logical fallacy. Where is your proof of the cause? Where is your proof that it actually exists in reality? And he essentially said he'll get back to us and we sent him more material to review and we reconvened two weeks prior to the debate taking place. And just through email traffic, he was sending us some studies that he had found that he thought, you know, debunked our position. And of course, both myself and the the man that was going to conduct the, or take part in the debate had already seen those. And we sent back highlighted uh, things and all the flaws with it. And then we said, um, we set parameters that you had to submit anything that you wanted to be debated a week prior to so anything that you're going to use to debate so the other person could review it and then we set the debate question as do the cell culture isolation process and the in silico genomic sequencing prove the existence of sars cov2 and other viruses his response was science doesn't prove anything it can only indicate things which that's a fair point but then he said arguing over whether the cell culture isolation process in in silico genomic sequencing proves the existence of SARS-CoV-2 will end up in an unproductive semantics argument, so I politely decline. So what he was saying there is that the meaning of words is unimportant and it will be a semantics argument over what all these words mean, so we shouldn't do the debate. So that really opened my eyes to, they simply have been taught this procedure, they've been taught that this procedure does and we already know that this Mm. shows this proliferates viruses in a culture and this is how we grow viruses they've never been taught or never been taught to question or never been shown another side that hey this procedure is in and of itself pseudoscientific because you're not accounting for all these confounding variables you're not properly controlling it they have a mock culture but they don't um the the way they conduct the mock is usually with a different cell line with less antibiotics. So that's not a true, you know, control. So it was really eye opening for me. So when it comes to virology, I think overwhelmingly um, virologists just have not been taught to question this, but there actually recently was yet another virologist that popped onto the scene saying SARS-CoV-2 is not a real virus and has not been so there are slowly waking up to the I spoke two molecular biologists in Wisconsin at an event and uh, they essentially said that they think um, SARS CoV two doesn't exist and has no evidence that it exists either. So there are people waking up.
0: Wow. You froze a little bit there, but I think that I, I could still hear you, but your okay, screen okay. froze. So we'll just be aware of that for hopefully it doesn't happen again. I don't um, think it will. All right, okay, that might have cool. been on my side. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow. So, they, they, so the so that last part you were saying that he acknowledged that SARS CoV 2 was not a virus.
1: Yep. That was SARS CoV 2 was not a virus. It did- yep, could be or that that SARS CoV 2 essentially had never been proven to exist. Mm-hmm. And the cause of COVID 19 has not been proven to be caused by a submicroscopic particle that they refer to as a virus.
0: Wow. What are your thoughts on the origins of this? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I. I'll clarify. I'm really. I, we we can talk about SARS, COVID too. But I, really, I'm thinking further back because I I believe I've, I've done a lot of reading on, you know, I I read the white papers. I am very clear on the plans, the very long range plans that have been laid out for well over a century. Now they could possibly predate that, but at least we have evidence going back at least a century. So I, I do, it, it seems likely to me that this uh, debate is an integral component of the plans. And yeah so i'm curious your thoughts
1: yeah uh so i get. are you asking like my thoughts on um i guess what 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 is the specific question yeah so there's, the specific question really I is about
0: germ theory and ah. how much of that was uh you know perhaps a uh a a mistake initially how much of it had been uh, uh certainly at this point i think it seems like they a lot of what they're a lot of their business model, just if we take big pharma, for instance, their business model is not, uh, viable without germ theory. I mean, they need the media to perpetuate the fear porn. They need, they need you to fear this, uh, You know, particle in order to uh, inject yourselves with some sort of uh, a mechanism that it supposedly promotes the immunity against that. So you know, all all of these things are really essential. But that is, it could have been co-opted, and they've thought, "Wow, this is a great adjunct to our yeah."
1: Okay, I I see what you're asking now. I don't, I don't know because. I'd like to think uh, Jonas Salk and John Franklin Enders who were working alongside each other with polio and then also measles, like developing a vaccine, studying those diseases. But the way they were studying them is like taking fluid from a sick person and cracking open the skull of a monkey and like pouring a cup of it into the skull of a monkey and saying, voila, this proves that there's a pathogenic particle. It's like (laughs) just absurd. but. And I'd it, like and it to.
0: Is, think- I'm so, so sorry to interject. It's so I, every time I hear that, like I, I think it's worth pausing. But I don't know how many people have heard that. And every time I hear, you've it, heard it, that before, you, right? I have. And yeah, every yeah. time I cannot believe it. Like these brilliant minds, right? That who have who are supposedly here to try to find uh, that they're, they're trying to find this this pathogen because they want to heal humanity, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you would think that that that's the intention behind it, and. Yeah. How is it that they thought that in any way that this was scientifically sound, that this was logical and that this was humane? So it's, it is just kind of mind boggling. So
1: sorry. That's, so I, I have something that sort of like came through with this that I have thought of before, but I'm, I'm going to say it in a different way. This is what happens when you become so myopically focused on yeah. and attached to what you think is the cause of something. Yeah, so you're going to find every way that you can to validate that that thing is the cause when you come into like let's let's think of science right, we have Mm -hmm. an observed phenomenon. We see something occurring right and then we come up with the hypothesis for that phenomenon it's really important that we adhere to the scientific method in trying to validate what our hypothesis is because human bias is so easy to creep in and we don't adhere specifically to the scientific method, we will manipulate and vary in ways. We won't account for confounding variables. We'll do crazy-ass shit like cracking open the skull of a monkey to try to validate what we think is the cause rather than we observe this phenomenon. I have an idea for what it could be. Let's try to disprove that idea in as many ways as possible while also trying to validate it. And if it turns out that that is, you know, almost disprovable in a way, then I validated my hypothesis and this is an accepted, um, theory in science. And then maybe it can become a law, right? That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's how it works. But when we get so myopically focused and attached to what we think is the cause, we're going to, you know, manipulate the experiment to try to validate that. And I think it's just the nature of the human condition of us needing to figure things out and us being certain that we have it figured out rather than just being able to sit with, fuck, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Right. And that's the the thing is that we struggle with not knowing. We struggle with not knowing with certainty. So to answer the other part of your question though, do I think this is integral to everything that has gone on and everything that will go on and everything that's happened with COVID absolutely what better way to usher in tyranny than to get people to think that they can make each other sick just by merely breathing next to someone else so that you need to isolate you need to separate from each other in this particle you can't see you can't know who has it you have no idea where it's being carried so you just need to be in a perpetual state of fear and isolate yourself from other human beings and wear mask two three masks develop all these coping mechanisms and the reality is, and this is more on the spiritual side of things, it's all rooted in the belief that we are limited, lacking separate and that, um, only things that they offer can save us. And that's simply not true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is absolutely what they want us to think for sure. Where do you think it started? I, I mean, I'm,
1: Well, so like germ theory has its roots. Well, like over centuries ago. Um, I mean, even like there's documents that show that Romans were talking about how they, they think that disease could be passed from person to person, but they called, they were, they had the word virus, but they virus was then known as like a poison. Right. And they did think that they could pass disease between each other. I think that this has been an idea that, um, I wanna say specifically in certain parts of the world is deeply rooted, but there's other parts of the world that it's not. Like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda have never ever thought of disease as being something that is passed from person to person, never taught that either. They've never taught contagion as a real phenomenon. Yeah. So I, I'd like to, I think the right answer is to this degree where they're able to usher in control mechanisms and all those things is, uh, cause uh or was caused by rockefeller medicine and and when petroleum-based medical products were uh brought onto to the scene um, the flexner report of 1910 yes, yeah absolutely and i think maybe it caught hold during the spanish flu but even again going back to there's several not just the rosenau experiments there's several experiments that were conducted during the spanish flu attempting to prove that disease was passed via the fluids of a sick person and every single one of them proved the exact opposite that they could not get people sick by you know exposing them to the fluids or exposing them directly to a person that was sick in spanish flu wards literally bringing healthy people into a ward full of spanish flu patients having them talk to 10 different people having them open mouth cough into their face shake their hand having their throats swabbed with fluids, having blood from a sick person injected could not replicate symptoms of disease. Somehow, still this idea was accepted. So I think it has roots before the Flexner report, before Rockefeller medicine, before the Spanish flu. But I think the Spanish flu is what made it really take hold. And then over time since then it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse, especially as our health has devolved and you know, it's just interesting that, like I said, as we as we put more money and funding and research into these things, it also seems that pathogenic disease-causing viruses continue to proliferate at an exponential rate. There's we're always concerned about a new one every few months. It's it's absurd.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, the monkeypox and uh, you know Marburg, and these are things that have affected small, small, like even according to the the literature it's such a relatively small proportion of the population and yet we know so much about it right we're hearing constantly all and we're all supposed to be terrified (laughs) of something that is affected like less than one percent of the population um yeah which is really and that that should say something for sure well
1: it's like i was thinking about this yesterday like A hundred years ago, when were we concerned with the intricate details of anyone, anything happening outside of our community? Like so Mm. concerned with and emotionally distraught over. And I'm not saying like, don't have compassion when bad things happen or anything like that, but so concerned that you're giving all of your energy away to it. You're limiting your creative capacity because you're hyper-focused on it and Mm. you become outraged or just, you know, emotionally distraught or, if, if something that is happening 3,000 miles away is right. ruining your entire day or your entire week yeah I just don't think that we're designed to know all of this stuff which is the mass media uh, on both sides of the political spectrum are mm-hmm. awful at perpetuating that which is why yeah. everyone should just turn it off just turn it off and just look outside at least where I'm at it is hot as shit it's 108 degrees all the time here in Texas but it's it's gorgeous (laughs) like there's nothing bad happening that I need to be concerned with we're starting our garden soon like it that's you're focused on solutions when you turn all that stuff off that's it
0: yeah that that is such a great point um I think in some ways it's a it's It really is a beautiful thing that our worlds have become uh, smaller in the sense that we are so much more integrated and we can have an awareness and understanding and compassion and possibly even uh, not just connect, but be uh, of assistance with those that are you know, well across the world. but okay. the the flip side of that is that it is a distraction and it takes people away from focusing on the things that should be of top priority, you know, in their own personal life, with their families. People become so disconnected from their their internal world, their personal families, their communities. Many people don't even have communities anymore. Uh, and I do think that's a huge part of why they, have to destroy the family the religious institutions uh and they do have to expand uh this this globalization is because if we are not focused uh internally then we we're we're destabilized completely destabilized
1: yeah and and i'm not even saying like don't ever be be aware of what's going on in the world like of course Mm. we should be aware but if you're (laughs) you know, hyper-focused scrolling and yeah. looking for things on social media four to six hours a day, even for those that are awake, right? That yeah. you just are perpetually focused on the fear. Yeah. I, again, we're, like you're limiting your capacity to create solutions mm-hmm. that you need to be creating anyway, regardless of if that stuff's going on, regardless of if the world has succumbed to this tyranny, we need to be becoming the most healthy, resilient, vibrant, badass version of ourselves mm-hmm. possible. We need to be connecting with people people in community, in person around mm-hmm. us. We need to yeah. have a bond with them. We should probably be growing our own food anyway. Humans were doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And then yeah. all of a sudden now in the last 100, maybe even less, the last 50 years, we've you know increasingly our food systems have become centralized where we're having to outsource to someone else. And then that creates all these issues and they're able to play off of that by creating manufactured food shortages and everything. So the more that we're growing our own food, the more that we're spending time in community with people, the more that we're exercising, spending time in nature, meditating, spending time with the ones that we love, the more healthy we'll be. The more healthy we'll be in mind, body, and in spirit. And all that nonsense that is happening will just fucking go away. Because the solution is to not acknowledge any of them as legitimate authority figures, not acknowledge that they have any power over your life. Acknowledge what they're doing, but don't Mm -hmm. acknowledge their power, right? Like, okay, I see what you're doing but i don't give a shit what you're doing i'm going to go over here and create solutions for me and my family that's it
0: i love that absolutely and i really like that distinction between acknowledging what they're doing because i think it is important if you yeah. need to understand what the plans are and what sure. what is being uh, instantiated but at, by the same token don't give it power and empower yourself so let's talk a little bit you you just touched on it so beautifully but uh, talk a little bit about what solutions you think there are for people and yeah. what are some solutions you're focusing on?
1: Yeah. So for, for me, uh, it looks like growing our own food. We just moved into this house in Texas, like two and a half weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah, but... Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was, it was, a good birthday gift. Um, and we're, we're planning on making half of our backyard a really big garden. Uh, I'm already plugged in, connected with multiple, Farmers around here. So that's really cool. Nice. Um, I think so. Getting in touch with local supply chains, getting yeah. in touch with and supporting local farmers and buy as much as you can from local farmers that are adopt- that have adopted regenerative or organic practices for the most part. And buying everything you can from them instead of centralized grocery store chains, even ones like whole foods or natural groceries, as much as I love them and I still do shop there. Mm -hmm. I try to buy like all my, all my meat products, all my dairy products, I do drink raw milk, all that comes from local farmers. And a lot of my, uh, produce comes from local farmers too. So as as much as we can, supporting them, growing your own food is important. Mm -hmm. Being in community with people who are open, loving, welcoming, maybe this is my bias, who get get that politics is a complete freaking illusion and all that nonsense, being in community with them, just spending time with people that you love, um, exercising on a daily basis, whatever that looks like for you, getting outside in nature and putting your feet on the ground um laying naked in your backyard like I do pretty frequently <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> just me if you can do that right mm-hmm. um and then uh the other thing and this is one that is I've been exploring pretty heavily for the past year is understanding that um the false legal system only has the power that you continually acquiesce to it and when you I guess the best way to describe this without going down the rabbit hole is huh. start looking up principles of common and natural law yeah. and applying those. And for me, the, the best resource has been law for mankind, which you can find at the dot Uh, the course that they offer called law for mankind teaches you how to, um, embody and express the freedom that is already inherent to you it's not something that we have to get back from the government it's not something that we have to plead with the government on it's not something we have to contact our congressman on really for the most part all of that is an illusion am i saying that you know the implementation of certain legal codes and statutes and laws by our government doesn't have an effect on us no but i am saying that if you know all of the people in the United States understood common law, then all of that would be irrelevant. Like it, it, it is only relevant because we keep making it relevant. Do mm-hmm. we like, we don't have to find solutions there. If we all understood principles of common law that we are already free by virtue of existing as men and women, and we learn to express that freedom. And what I love about this co- course so much is that it teaches you to um, dissect and understand where you are limiting your own freedom because of your traumas because of your you know uh things that you're unwilling to look at inside yourself emotionally that you have not faced uh because if you're not you're not free internally you're going to be seeking freedom outside of yourself and be so angry at others who are quote limiting your freedom when in reality it stems from you limiting your own freedom first by not dealing with the things you need to deal with and facing the things that happened in your past or your worries about the future. So that is a a really big piece for me because I think if, if everyone was operating uh, within the constructs of common law, which is the real law, Mm -hmm. I think none of this would ever have happened, regardless of how much the media perpetuates fear, how much funding they have behind it, because it only happens by our own consent by us consenting to it because we are afraid and because we acknowledge them as legitimate authority. Once we stop being in perpetual fear and stop acknowledging them as legitimate authority, all that ends. Literally all it would require is all of us to be like, okay, I see what you're doing. I acknowledge that what you're doing, but I'm not playing that game. I'm not doing it. That's it. Then it's over.
0: I, I love that. Can you just for, uh, I think a lot of people don't know what common law or natural law is. Could you give us a little bit of a kind of a clip notes? synopsis and how it's different from what we're
1: doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try my best. I'm probably going to butcher this. It's like Mm -hmm. one of those things that I know conceptually, but don't know how to express well, but I'll try. So (laughs) um, common law is the law that is common to man and woman, not person, not individual, not corporation, not any of these fictitious legal titles. It is the law that is common to man and common to woman. And it's law that is inherent to us by virtue of existing. And it is essentially that you do not commit trespasses upon others and you do not allow others to commit trespasses upon you. But when someone does commit a trespass against you or you commit a trespass against someone else, you seek remedy for that outside of any legal court system first, right? You Mm try to settle it outside of any court system. You uh, require, you know, someone, let's say someone blew through your backyard fence with their motorcycle. So they committed a trespass against you and your property, your property as a man, right? You would then approach them and say, hey, you have done this. I require this as reimbursement Mm -hmm. to, to make remedy for you committing a trespass against me by way of uh you know damaging my property right Mm -hmm. and you seek that outside the court system and you try to settle it man to man or woman to woman or man to woman right Right. without any of the legal system involved and how that applies with what's going on with covid is your employer right which is Mm -hmm. what we call them your employer which is really just again another man or woman who is trying to tell you you must receive this product if you're Mm going to continue working here then you hold them liable. You approach Mm -hmm. them and said, hey, I need you to make this right because you are extorting me as a man Mm -hmm. saying that I need to receive this product. I signed no contract saying that I would receive this product with my contract of employment. Mm -hmm. And you as a man, I'm going to hold you liable or you as a woman, I'm going to hold you liable for committing this trespass against me. So it's not trying to hold the employer liable. That's a fictitious title. Mm -hmm. And they have protections when they do that. You hold the man or the woman accountable for trying to commit a trespass against you. And I know people who have used these processes. And again, this is not legal advice to um, maintain their job or if they were fired to, you know, have compensation for being wrongfully terminated by holding men and women accountable. So essentially what common law is, is it's not operating with, with any of the legal fictitious BS, any of the you know, not acknowledging mandates and orders as legitimate because they are not lawful. Um, they violate your rights, your fundamental rights as a man or a woman that we have simply been not, not taught to express. And it's obviously very intentional.
0: Yeah. So you said you know people who have used these processes and these channels of uh, common law and have they been successful?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm wow. not going to say it's like a foolproof solution, but Yes. So, some of them, I do know they're still in, uh, caught up in, in court cases that have been ongoing for several months, but nonetheless, they are holding them accountable. And I do know people that have been compensated and I don't know people that have maintained their their uh, job um, wow. or, or have been able to continue receiving compensation for their labor, which is the correct way to say it for mm-hmm. uh, in common law by using these processes. And I also know that through these processes, you are able to, I'm going to say this kind of, um, vaguely, you're able to keep 100% of the compensation for your own labor, right? Because mm-hmm. it is your labor. You're able to keep 100% of the compensation for it completely lawfully without lying or any of that nonsense through these processes.
0: Uh, I, I understand what you're alluding to there. Yeah. Yes. There, there is no part of that that needs to be, uh, siphoned off for anyone else
1: yes because. exactly yep. there any <laughs> yeah system that is not a legitimate authority correct
0: right right uh and and that that is a whole nother rabbit hole i actually did do a podcast on that uh somebody who has not paid uh you know the federal uh taxes for uh almost because right it's three voluntary
1: decades. it's it's 100 voluntary and we consent to it and we absolutely don't have to
0: yeah yeah and he 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 has a school freedom law school where he outlines that very clearly he has really gone through the, you know the the tax code um and shows where you know that is the voluntary uh action on most of our behalf and uh shows where it says very clearly that it it is you know Stipulated for those within the jurisdiction in Washington D.C. and those who work for the government. So, yep, yep. and uh, therein is, lies another another big lie that we have. Yes, all... another
1: big lie. It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it is so crazy. And what's so crazy about it is it's been entrenched for so long that it is so hard to step outside of it. It's. I, I think that's really. You know, a lot of people are waking up, which I think is so beautiful. I think that is the silver lining of all of this, that people are waking up. But it's because when you, it's not just the cognitive dissonance. It's like you, if that's all you've known, it's really, really hard to step outside of it.
1: Yep, so. it is. And again, I, that's why I love the Law for Mankind course so much is that mm-hmm. it, and I didn't expect this when I started taking the course, I was referred to this course by a friend of mine named Josh Del Sol He's like, mm-hmm. dude, you got to check this course out. It's incredible. It's on mm-hmm. common law. And, and the first module just teaches very basics of it. And it was, mm-hmm. do, you, do you ever like read something that, or see something that is, is verbalizing something you've always thought, but you've never yes. been able to put into words? It was like that when I watched module one, just like, like teaching the fundamentals of common law. I was like, oh my God, this wow. is incredible. And then module two, unexpectedly, goes into you know your traumas and it it is challenging like it it brings Uh you to tears makes you feel anxious because you're it's having you face some of the things that all of us have that we're unwilling to look at where you just sort of compartmentalize that are really inhibiting our own freedom and that applies in every single area of, of our life in this matrix it's they play on our unwillingness to look at those things because then we're seeking freedom and acknowledging outside of us that, oh, you're causing me to not be free. You're causing me. And then for some of us that ends up being in a, you know, perpetual victim mentality where we just continually get worse and worse and worse, or we're constantly focused on them, 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 what they're doing. And they play on that in all areas of life through the legal system, through, you know, the medical system, through any aspect of government, the media, they play on all those, uh, subconscious and unconscious things that we have not looked at
0: yeah absolutely i'm curious i love hearing people's like origin stories and their trajectory i think it's really helpful for others so you said you've kind of you came from the left uh, politically speaking and but yeah. you've always been kind of anti-establishment to yeah. some degree well, i so i'm curious <laughs> about yeah
1: <laughs> yeah ironically uh i have always been anti-establishment but this is funny. This is like my veterans card. I'm actually a oh. uh, army veteran and it yeah. says hundred percent disabled American veteran, which is just wild to me. So I'm, I'm technically a hundred percent disabled ver- American. Wow. Veteran. You um, you seem for,
0: quite abled. So I,
1: I seem pretty <laughs> abled. Yeah, I know. And when I showed that to my, uh, my dad, he just cried laughing and I did too. Cause it's, I don't, <laughs> I mean I didn't choose that. They I was medically discharged for um I have two screws in my left shoulder and knowing what I know now I would have never had surgery but it's also a blessing in disguise cuz I was able to be medically discharged from the army. Um but I uh this is a long story so I'll summarize it as mm-hmm. quickly as I can. <laughs> I um woke up to everything going on with our government um woke up spiritually so to speak uh, mm-hmm woke up in terms of health, all the things, and they're all interconnected Yeah. around 2016 when I commissioned as a second lieutenant in the army after graduating from West Point. And up to that point, um, my mom had been seeing, uh, multiple psychiatrists who had prescribed her multiple benzodiazepines and SSRIs, psychotropic medications, uh, for some, a lot of familial trauma that happened when I was growing up, I'll say. And, you know, these doctors never talked to her about the trauma, never talked to her about nutrition, mindfulness, anything like that. They just, you know, it was a 15 minute survey and then prescribed multiple benzodiazepines SRIs back in 2007, 2008. And then Mm -hmm. over the course of the next, you know, nine years, her health continued to spiral worse and worse and worse. And by 2016, we were actually looking at putting her in a long-term facility because she had multiple suicide attempts She was constantly hallucinating. Um, It was Um, was really bad. Yeah. And then by chance, uh, she was seeing a therapist who was reading A Mind of Your Own by Dr. Kelly Brogan. And so my mom made an appointment to go see Kelly, and that changed the trajectory of my entire family because my mom began to heal for the first time ever, right? Wow. Still a healing, you know, healing journey, and there's still things that she's working through right now. But still, right. it, she began to heal yeah. for the first time ever in 2016. And then my wife, who I had just married at that time, nine years prior, so again around 2007, was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and was chronically ill from age six, like the time that I met her. I mean, I. When we started getting serious in our relationship and when i proposed her she would even talk about how like alec are you sure you want to marry me i'm going to end up in a wheelchair one day i'm never going to be able to have kids and she was always chronically ill there'd be times where she wouldn't be able to leave bed for two to three days at a time on multiple Uh. immunosuppressive drugs multiple rheumatologists telling her that you're just going to have to manage the pain you're always going to be like this so after my mom began to heal we tried the same Thing with my wife and just a holistic approach to health. Very simple, you know, like eating real food, getting off all of the medications, being mindful, healing your trauma, exercising frequently, grounding, all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And my wife reversed both autoimmune conditions in four months. So no, after, four months. Yeah, she's four months, and she's sustained that remission now for six years.
0: That's amazing. That's astounding. Yep. Yep. Four months. I mean, they they say that that's like a death sentence. Yep four months.
1: Wow. Yep. And so after I saw those two things happen with my wife and my mom, it sent me down a never ending journey of just questioning the nature of reality <laughs> and all the things I'd been taught. Cause for me, like I wasn't a person who was like super pro allopathic medicine. I was always a very physically fit dude that, you know, ate whatever I wanted to, cause I had a high metabolism at that time, but I had horrible acne all the time. But Mm -hmm. never really questioned any of that stuff but then after seeing this happen with my mom and my wife i was like how could these two experts these two people that we're supposed to trust get this wrong and then this lady who everyone's saying is a pseudoscientific quack like that i googled, dr kelly brogan that everyone's saying she spreads misinformation even back then there she's the one who got it right what else do i not know so then i just started obsessively researching and then You know, when COVID hit, I uh, had already done extensive research on all this, all this stuff. And, you know, I was a captain in the army, but I felt so convicted to speak that I started speaking and people started resonating with it. And that's how I end up being on podcasts like this now. So it's just a crazy journey that. I mean if you had told me six years ago this is what i'd be doing now i would have said you're absolutely freaking crazy but that's how life goes so
0: (laughs) wow what did you think you'd be doing now
1: oh man well so when i was uh when i was in the army initially i was um this is another kind of long story weird piece of my journey but so i uh played this sport at west point called team handball. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it. It's huge in Europe and in and, and South America. Sure. So I played on the U S national team for two out of my five years in the army. So there's this program in the army called the world-class athlete program, where if you're on a U.S. national team for any of the Olympic sports, you do that full time for an Olympic qualification period. And prior to my shoulder injury, my thoughts were that um you know after i graduated after i served my five years in the army i was able to play handball a little bit, bit during that that i would play professionally overseas but then i had shoulder surgery in my shoulders uh not horrible it's i can still throw and i can i'm still active but i'm not a professional level handball player i'll put it that way so uh that's what i thought i'd be doing or i even thought about possibly going back to chiropractic school i even this is why i'm so grateful for COVID. i had even thought You know if i just find a job in the army now that i'm aware of all the fraud of the 9-11 and all that and the wars Mm -hmm. that we fight and that we're just pawns if i just find a job in the army where i don't have to go into combat then i can compartmentalize and still continue to do this because i was making good money i had a religious accommodation for vaccines i was in a good position so i was like you know what i can kind of make sense of this in my mind but COVID hit and it forced me into deeper authenticity And I, there's no way I could ever be a part of that system anymore. And then luckily I was medically discharged. So it's, it was just a perfect situation.
0: Wow. Yeah. That was was meant to be, it worked out for the best. Wow. I'm curious about uh, your, your political kind of trajectory because you said that you had, yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh man. (sighs) West Point, especially now, especially since I've graduated, has really become a leftist indoctrination camp. Yeah, um, as are most universities in the United States. But it, it's crazy that it's happening to the military academies. There's so many layers to this because just like what our military does in general is not what we think. They have nothing. It's nothing to do with fighting for freedom abroad. Like it's it's absurd. But even within the framework of if, if you do believe in that what the military has become in terms of um its leftist woke culture mm-hmm. is extremely disturbing and that was that really started i don't know when it started but i i can say that when i was a cadet there was more left-leaning i won't say pro- it's so tough because it's like the professors never really instilled leftist ideology into us. It's just that they were always slightly left leaning in what they taught and how they carried themselves and the social ideas that they presented. So it wasn't ever like any direct, like, boom, you must believe in this because the military is supposed to be apolitical as officers in the army. You cannot, you know, um, express while in uniform, what your political stance is or partake in anything politically, but, there is always just this like thread of left-leaning you know i mean i had classes where multiple of my instructors were socialists and professed socialists and you know talked more leaning in that direction but now at west point they teach critical race theory they teach uh white rage they teach all of those things and it's it's absolutely like a leftist indoctrination camp and that's kind of just how it was when i was there so i graduated from west point and I was not a, a, a supporter of Trump or Hillary. I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. I was very uh, big Bernie Sanders supporter. and uh, But could never make sense of, especially as I started to wake up to the pharmaceutical stuff, how he um, could be so blind to that side of the the mm-hmm. issue. Like so unbelievably blind. It made no sense to me. I looked at countries like Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and saw that they were democratic socialist countries. And I was like, oh, that like, like looks incredible. We should be that way too. And then... Just as I did more research, and especially through COVID, I, you know, woke up to the illusion of politics, period, and think it Mm -hmm. became aware that it's all fraudulent and that, you know, I I just think it's all theater and there is no political solution. I would consider myself, if I had to put a label on it, voluntarist or, or anarchist now, where I just think that the only authority is your own authority in your life.
0: Voluntarist I I haven't heard that term What is that?
1: So voluntarist is It's voluntarist or voluntarist I I say voluntarist But it is It's like a nicer way of saying anarchist In (laughs) that every uh, Because anarchist Anarchy has such a negative connotation Now where people think of like Fires in the streets And like looting and burning And raping and pillaging And that's not That's not true anarchy Anarchy is living in harmony with nature, treating the earth, abiding by natural law and common law, not imposing upon another, but not allowing people to impose upon you. And that every single interaction between you and any other entity organization, uh, other man or woman is voluntary for both parties. That's essentially voluntary, um, voluntaryism is it's voluntary interactions at every single level. So no nonsensical, um, licenses or any of that stuff, no mm-hmm. abiding by legal codes and statutes. It's that every single interaction in your life is voluntary and your yourself and your property are yours and yours alone and you don't pay any dues or fees or any of that nonsense because it is yours and you're the authority mm-hmm. over it.
0: Yeah, well, that that seems to make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that distinction on uh, anarchy because I think they want they, you know, they tend to uh, demean words and they want to spin the negative connotation so that you think that anarchy means that you are, as you said, looting in the streets and yes. you know everybody's causing mass chaos. When really, it's it's the the uh, philosophical definition is the rejection of the uh, authoritarian government. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One does not preclude the other. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts about the future? You You've talked a lot about like the. I, I love the ideas of the. Uh, you know, one of my main themes really is about sovereignty and, you know, ownership of free will. And that is something that, you know, I hope I, uh, you know, informing people that we can empower people to do that. But there's a lot that's being done that we don't have much control over. I don't know how familiar you are with a lot of the, uh, you know, the air pollution, like chemtrails that they're
1: oh very familiar. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, Um... you know, what's happening with the food supply that they're, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's uh I've had some deep conversations on this cuz I this is uh, this is tough and I don't know which angle to go with this. So, I am under the impression that, and I will clarify this is a belief. This is so, not something that I can possibly know to be true mm-hmm. that um the nefarious actors of the world, the wild gang of men and women at the very tippy top that are trying to play on our uh choices and and get us to consent to things um i've been under the impression for the most part that they require our consent in order to do these things and they are aware of that on a spiritual level that they manipulate us to get that consent but they require our consent otherwise they accumulate massive amounts of karmic debt and even if they get our consent and they you know kill us of course i'm sure there's karmic implications with that but when we consent to it, I think it lessens the degree uh, that they um, accumulate karma. And I think that when it comes to things like chemtrails um, or other means by which they they poison, pollute our environments, I think that uh, they make you know concessions in some areas where they are willing to accumulate more karma in some ways, if they can cause an, uh, an impact on us, and then in other ways they're not. So I think it's like when it comes to the, the the real world application of that for people like you and me is again to go back to what I said: become the most resilient, badass, uh, vibrant version of yourself that is emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally grounded and is clear so that the effects of that are minimal. Right. Um, kind of going back to German new medicine, of course, like I said, I'm not going to eat a bunch of, you know, gluten glyphosate, containing pizzas every night for dinner and not work out and just sit and veg out and watch TV and say, I'm going to be okay. But German new medicine is very accurate in that. Um, the biggest piece is the emotional psycho-spiritual piece. And if you are grounded in that, then those things have a lesser effect on you, I think. And uh, I do foresee a future where more people wake up to that type of stuff when it comes Mm -hmm. to chemtrails to where they, you know, are are sort of forced to find other routes because they're always going to try to find ways to poison us and, and, know put us in a perpetual state of fear but maybe those will go away eventually because at least i know more people are uh becoming aware of them than ever before because it's so freaking obvious how much they're spraying our skies i don't know about you in tennessee but not as much here in texas but when i lived in kansas uh, uh, for the last year it was so obvious how much they were spraying to even people who don't question things are like this is so weird the skies are never seen them this hazy. Why is it like this? And it's like, well, have you noticed they've been spraying more? So.
0: <laughs> They're the, streaks that just seem to oh, stay for days. Yeah. Uh, even though condescending condensation it literally evaporates, yeah. <laughs> but somehow <laughs> these contrails don't evaporate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name,
1: name one time, um, no matter the temperature that you've been outside and you breathe and you can look back 200 yards, and see your trail of breath.
0: Never happened to me. So no, no, no. No
1: matter the humidity, no matter the like temperature, it literally does not happen. No, it doesn't. It it does not happen.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, I I, I think you're right that we are. If we can buffer ourselves, then yeah, they're they're going to continue to chemtrails are one that is interesting because even for very awake people, for some reason, they just have such a hard time wrapping their heads around this. Yep. And I'm like, it's in our congressional bills. I, I send them out constantly. I'm like, why is this in our congressional bill if it's a myth? Oh, right? If my it goodness. doesn't well, exist and
1: they've changed the wording on some of it though. They they that simply that some of it is geoengineering. Like they admit geoengineering yeah. is a thing, and it's like, okay, it's just another word to describe exactly what they're doing. They admit it. It's like It's not even a conspiracy or how they've already accepted that Bill Gates is going to use certain metallic particulates to block out the sun to prevent climate change. They literally say what they're doing. And then when you point to what they're doing, they're like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Bill Gates literally has said multiple times now that if we uh, use vaccinations correctly, we can decrease the population by a certain percentage. And someone will try to say, or I've seen several excuses where people will say, no, what he meant by that is in countries with higher vaccination rates, people have less kids. And I look at my wife's sister, they have six kids. I look at like plenty of families in the United States. That's just not true. I don't see no. any evidence of that whatsoever. So it's clear what he is saying is if we do vaccination correctly, we can reduce the population. And then when you point to that, it's like, no, you're crazy. And it's like, he literally said it. He said it.
0: Yep. Yeah, whenever you, uh, you, you I, I, I do that all the time. Like I share, you know, the white papers and then people think I'm absolutely uh, crazy Whenever people repeat what's in it. I'm like, did you read it? It's literally what it says, you know? Like
1: some I'm of the government agenda 2030 documents that are government documents that exist that talk about how there's ecological zones that human beings will no longer be allowed to inhabit, which again, by means of common law, you can thwart all of that nonsense. Like right. there's, there's even deeper elements of uh, practicing common law with non-interest bearing irrevocable trusts and getting land patents that are that are ways that the government even if you're in an area with eminent domain that they cannot use eminent domain because you are the man that or woman that owns that property and they can't touch oh. it but But agenda 2030 documents that talk about like ecological zones to prevent climate change, prevent global warming, where they're literally going to remove human beings and not allow them to live in those areas. Oddly enough, much of it is California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, the places that are becoming increasingly tyrannical where people that are even on the left are it's, it's too hard for them to live there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we're going to wrap up uh, pretty soon. I have one more question for you. It's related to this common law and this idea of uh, them, uh, the consent. So uh, since I'm pretty sure this is not news to you, you you seem to be very familiar with their plans, but they seem to have this uh, technocratic, AI, transhuman, feudalistic uh, agenda. And You know, certainly there's ways that we can opt out, not, you know, subscribe to any types of uh, injections or, uh, you know, chips or any of those means, but there are, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of the technology that, you know, does not require consent, you know, where it can be done through frequency, it can be done through transfection. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on some of that?
1: (sighs) Again, like I, I think of, I think it's so tough because, like, even you know, direct energy weapons or the like. This is again them revealing what they do when it comes to something like Havana Syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. For you know that that was absolutely them pointing frequencies at specific people to cause symptoms of disease. Um, totally. I think of. You know, the Travis Scott concert. I don't know if mm-hmm. you saw that. I absolutely um, am of the belief that they were using frequencies to cause those effects and yeah. possibly in those who received the products, which. Yeah. So, but yeah. um, again, it goes back to, okay, I'm aware of that. What, the yeah. f- what do I do about it? Yeah. I become the most resilient, badass, spiritually grounded, a, a physical specimen, That is vibrant, that is loving, that is caring, compassionate, that spends time with people he loves, that spends time in nature, that acknowledges those things, acknowledges the darkness within me, acknowledges the darkness in the world, but doesn't perpetually focus on it where i become a perpetual fear state. And I'm actually perpetuating it because they play off of our fear energetically, too. They siphon our fear from us. They do. So we can acknowledge it and say, okay what I'm going to do in response is shed more love on it for myself, my family, my community. I'm going to be the most spiritually grounded. Like I said, the whole thing that I've said, yeah, here, yeah. do that. Literally just do that. And I, I agree that we need to acknowledge it. We cannot, we cannot pretend that all that shit isn't happening because that is an indication we're pretending that we don't have darkness about ourselves. We haven't looked at our own shadow. We need to acknowledge mm-hmm. the shadows of the world, the shadows in ourself. But what do we do once we acknowledge them? We respond to them with love and we, you know, craft solutions for them. So that's, that's what I think that we do.
0: I love it. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all that you're doing. If you have anything else you want to add and of course, tell everybody where they can find you and support you.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, highly recommend you subscribe to our newsletter for now at healthfreedomforhumanity.org forward slash newsletter. Uh, we will be launching our donation based membership here soon. And what I've shared on this podcast is just a fraction of what we will be offering with it. And again, it's all donation based because we're a 501c3. So what's cool is being a member. You can write that off. If you are still someone who pays taxes, Um, you can write that off on your taxes and uh, you know, it's, it's going to offer lots of solutions to people and that's going to be the primary focus for it. So excited for that to launch around September.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.